Welcome to the UK Ravens podcast, the only official, unofficial Baltimore Ravens podcast from the United Kingdom. Well, would you believe it? Another week goes by and another absolute heartbreaker from the Ravens. Right to the last minute. Welcome back to the UK Ravens podcast. My name is Gaz Paul and I'm once again joined by my friends who I met on the internet. Ben Mortimer, Ian Domain, Shane Richmond and James Jonathan Ogden. Someone tried to throw me on the show script, but I am getting better at this podcasting business. It's all getting a little bit COVID-y. So what have we got? We've got Ben in isolation in York and we have Shane in the midst of a COVID lockdown somewhere in the US. How are things going over there, Shane? Uh, yeah, fine. So it's we're just in a kind of uh, household lockdown rather than a lockdown that's been imposed by Maryland. But yes, we're in a corner of Maryland uh, in a house with two people who have COVID and everybody's just staying indoors and not doing anything. So it's not entirely how we planned Christmas, but uh, everybody's basically healthy just got kind of what seems like a bit of a cold so it could be worse oh well that's good news ben y'all locked down in york i believe yeah again yes. not locked down just just well i'm choosing also to. in the same situation as shane apart from i'm not in as exotic a climb but uh yeah it began to feel a lot like covid last week and um <clears throat> it's kind of built from there so my oldest daughter's got it now and then the other three still are testing negative but i'm sure by christmas day we'll all be one big happy covid, COVID family um but at least I merry didn't actually, christmas everyone at least i didn't take it as a gift for my in-laws in america so yeah. <laughs> ian james are we staying fit and healthy uh healthy i'm not sure about fit but yeah, we're, we're still testing negative so fingers crossed that continues yeah all good here uh, same as same as Ian though, fit, fit, not healthy. Yeah, no, all the way around. I'll be not fit. I've decided that I. They always tell you with with COVID and everything through all this. It's always been wash your hands with alcoholic gel. Alcohol gets rid of the virus. Now I drink seven days a week, and I've I've just got in my head now that that is what's keeping my system clean. That COVID cannot beat my alcohol riddled body. So, um, drink more people. That'd be my recommendation to you. So, Shane, <laughs> Ben's got his drink ready to go. Tried to get rid of it. I like it, Ben. I'm following Shane, your advice instantly. You are across the pond, as I've got to say. How mm-hmm. was your game in MT Bank Stadium? Yeah. So, before the COVID, <laughs> the COVID nightmare began, um, I did manage to get to the Ravens game on Sunday against the Packers. And it was a really good game and a really good experience, despite the result. Um, I was kind of telling myself as I left, right, if that two-point conversion had succeeded, I'd be coming away thinking that was an amazing game. So I've got to admit, it was an amazing game, even though it wasn't converted. Um, there were I was on the Packers side of the field. There were a lot of Packers fans around me. I think a lot of Ravens fans had basically sold their tickets. So I was looking at ticket exchange on the morning of the game, and there were a handful of tickets here and there. And then as soon as Lamar was confirmed out, there were tickets available in every single block. Loads and loads of people put their tickets up on Ticket Exchange. And I think a lot of um, Packers fans took the opportunity to, uh, to, to buy them up. So you might have heard on TV by the end, after the onside kick, when the Ravens fans started streaming out, there were a lot of noisy Packers fans remaining. Um, but uh, 
even so, it was a great atmosphere, and even with slightly diminished Ravens turnout, by the end, the stadium was incredibly noisy. Everyone was really into it, and it's great to experience that again um, after so long of not being able to get to the US because you forget. I mean, fans listening to this in the UK who've never been to a game, if you've been to a Premier League game, it's not quite the same thing because you have that split of fans. You have the home and away fans kind of singing at each other. And an NFL game, because the teams are so spread out, it's still it's still like 90% Ravens fans in a massive stadium. So you just get a huge amount of noise. And they're really, really good at building the atmosphere. You get all the flashing lights now and the hype videos and all of that kind of stuff. So uh, it, was a, it was a good experience. Shame about the result. Yeah, you came into the message thread early morning looking like you might not be able to get to the game. I don't know if you were looking for mm-hmm. support from us for to say, oh, it's okay if you miss it. We all very quickly jumped on you and said, Shane, you've got to go to this game. It doesn't matter if you walk or you pay $200 yeah. for an Uber. How was your game day experience? Did you manage to get down there a little bit early and have a walk around or were you just in uh, and out of the stadium? I got down there. So the plan initially was for my father-in-law to drive us and that would all have been fine. But he wasn't feeling 100%, not COVID, but just not feeling 100%. So he decided three hours in the cold wasn't going to work for him. Plan B would have been for me to drive myself, except that the car that I was supposed to drive is somewhere in DC and there was no way of getting there because the part of the family who's got it are also isolating. Um, So there was, in the morning, there was a kind of, how is this going to be possible? It's a $70 Uber ride. What am I going to do? Um, but in the end, I managed to arrange some family ferrying. But it did mean I got there. Yeah, I got there at about four o'clock, so about 25 minutes before kickoff. Um, and then pretty much walked straight out of the stadium and got into a car and came back. So didn't see a lot of atmosphere, unfortunately. But um, there was plenty of atmosphere inside the stadium. So that was good. Am I right in saying that... Um maybe the extended family are not necessarily Ravens fans. I mean, was, was this, was this sort of uh, a negotiating and basically <laughs> you being a pain in the ass to get a lift? Has that kind of uh, left a residual sting with them or is everything, <laughs> everything okay? I know from, you know, not naming names <clears throat> with my in-laws, but uh, that might have caused maybe a, a, a little uh, lack of discussion or, or talking to me the next day or maybe the following day as well. So there's downstairs in the basement, um, at this house, there are a lot of Washington football team helmets of various eras. Um, and yeah, the whole family are fans of the football team and have been for quite some time. They're sort of where I actually get a little bit more leeway now is the fact that they hate the current ownership of the Washington football team. So they're kind of estranged from that team. And they've all kind of, because they're, they're nice and they're being nice to me, they've sort of warmed to the rope. So the goodwill is the goodwill is there. And in fact, my mother-in-law was like, I'll drive you there and I'll pick you up. It'll be fine. And I felt pretty guilty at her spending what would be like 90 minutes in the car there and back and then 90 minutes going to get me again, particularly because you can't really go and hang out anywhere and wait at this point because so many places are locked down because it's as it is in the UK, the virus is, is spreading like crazy over here too. So lots of Washington merch in the basement. You've brought COVID from the UK as a Ravens fan <laughs> into a Washington household. So anyway, yes. Shane, it's really nice knowing you. So enjoy living <laughs> underneath that basement floor. <laughs> okay, let's get into this game. Go on. 
Mm -hmm. we, we all tested positive before we left. I should point out, although my joke was, if we've got COVID, it's coming. You mean us. negative? And uh, sorry, negative. We all tested negative before we left. Yeah, <laughs> we don't want to get that mixed up. I'm going to cut, I'm going to cut <laughs> that second bit out. <laughs> Good idea. Yeah. Um, so yes, we were all negative. We got our, our approval to fly, and all of that was fine. Uh, and then yeah, the nightmare began once we got here. But um, yeah, that seems to be the reality at the moment. Okay, let's try to again to get into this game because Shane is indeed across the pond and is looks like he's phoning in from an old potato. We have got some <laughs> connection issues, so we are going to talk That's over each other. That's a very rude way to talk about his in-law's couch. <laughs> 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 so, let's get into this game. We've got James twice for some reason. I don't know what's going on tonight, but it's all going. So, a 30-31 to 31 defeat by the Packers in Baltimore. Shane was there, which we talked about. Tyler Huntley got the <laughs> nod to start. I can't concentrate. What an expression. <laughs> oh, he's gone. Oh, gone. oh, God. I'm going to leave that in. Anyway, Tyler, Tyler Huntley gets the nod to start, Ian, and we had a, a pretty good game out of him. Yeah, we did. We did. He did well, didn't he? Um, I think all, all week, Harbaugh was playing it pretty close. You know, Lamar might play in this one, and I, I never really brought into it. I don't think many people did. I think it's James is gone again. I don't know what's going on. This is this is a nightmare. What's going on? Anyway, um, so yeah, I, I never really brought into the Lamar was going to play nonsense. I think that was that was mainly for Green Bay trying to get them to maybe spend ten minutes actually looking at some Lamar film or something. Um, but but Tyler Huntley he, he did what well more than what I hoped he would. Uh, I thought he played really well in this game. Took care of the ball. Uh, he, he passed the ball extremely well. I think I, I saw on Next Gen stats today that he was in the sort of top five or six um, fastest in the league at getting the ball out this week. So he wasn't he wasn't hanging around. He was he was getting the ball out quickly. Usually to Mark Andrews, who had a who had a monster game. Uh, again, just just showing why he's one of, if not the best, tight end in the league. Uh, 136 receiving yards, two touchdowns, um, and. I see. Uh, I've had to mute the NFL UK Twitter account today because they've sent two tweets that have really annoyed me. But but one of them was they they nominate their four sort of players of the week, and one of them was Aaron Rodgers. And I, I, Shane doesn't, but I'm a big fan of of Aaron Rodgers. I, I, I I've said this before. Um, I love the way he plays, um, but I don't think he was the best quarterback in this game. I thought Tyler Huntley had a had a really strong game and. Uh, and for the NFL UK account to, to put up, I, I think Rogers has actually won an NFC Player of the Week this week as well, which which to me is just a, an absolute nonsense. Like it's on know, the back I, of one throw, isn't yeah, it? There's I, one I throw that was a yeah. world in. Everyone is. Um, I, I don't watch yeah. many of the other games, but the NFC quarterbacks must have had a pretty dire week. If if sort of 200 yards and a couple of touchdowns gets you gets you Player of the Week, so yeah, yeah um, wasn't wasn't overly impressed with that. So, Ian, what you're saying is um, keep on Huntley and trade Lamar, yeah? <laughs> no, no. This is, this is definitely not. This, uh, I'm not even going to start because this nonsense is flying around. This is the other reason that I had to mute because I see OC's been on again on his little anti-Lamar nonsense. So so they've been muted. I'm not even going to talk about that 
that nonsense. Um, one thing I, I did want to talk about why we're on Huntley, and it's probably a question for James, is we've mentioned it before a couple of times, and the commentary team were very big on this and how great it is to have a backup quarterback who can run the same system as Lamar. You see around the league, there's others that are completely different from their starter. And I wanted to ask, it looks a lot like the same offence, but but is it? Are they asking Tyler to do as much as Lamar? Because... I'm not sure they are. And whilst everyone's going on and on about how great Tyler's playing, and I think he is playing very well, is it a case that he's being asked to do slightly less? He's definitely being asked to do slight, slightly less. Um, y- you can see it in the in the way that they uh, in the in the the way that they are they're setting up the offense for him. They they put the um, it's great because now I'm back on back in my familiar surroundings app from from other podcasts i don't have to translate um britishisms <laughs> into america so i've been talking about how they've had the training wheels on on huntley um which you know they don't they have the stabilizers on him and uh it's definitely the way that they the way that they uh, set up this game they had him roll out an awful lot you know he was rolling out to the right a lot they had a lot of half field reads one of the reasons why bateman wasn't involved in this game in a big way was because uh, Bateman was on the on the sort of decoy side of a half field read for for Huntley, so they gave him a lot of really quick reads, really easy reads to go through. I would say when he was given the opportunity to to read the whole field and to to run the whole offense, he ran it really well, and he showed that he has you know he has really good processing ability. I, I do think the kid can run a full full Raven style offense. But they just didn't ask him to, which was which was exactly the way to do it, really. And he he got the ball out quickly. He 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 was making his reads really well. I, I I thought it was a really good performance with the caveat, which is why this nonsense about a quarterback controversy is ridiculous. It's there is the caveat that he was he was put in put in the best situation to succeed, um, which was great coaching. A lot of this will be down to preparation time too, as well, won't it? That. Um He's, he doesn't have the, the amount of reps that Lamar gets, so he doesn't have the opportunity to learn the entire offense. And so there's presumably there's a, a structure going on as to what they ask Hundley to practice and which plays they expect him to, to know best. And, it, and it's also the nature of facing a defense like Green Bay who are sort of, they, they run quite a few split, quite a lot of split field coverages and you don't particularly want to ask a young second year quarterback to be reading both sides of the field when they're running something exotic in in the secondary you kind of want him to just have to focus on on one thing and read or read a couple of things and, and get it and get the ball out on time which was what they were doing and it was just the right way to protect him especially against that kind of defense as well so something i did notice obviously shane and i do the twitter account so we see we get a lot of a lot of feedback that that we can't we often get shouted at why aren't you throwing more why aren't you running more obviously we we can't affect that but um early in the season and and for a couple of years we've had it we need to run the ball more we need to run the ball more we need to run the ball more with Huntley starting I've seen that really drop off and I notice I I didn't even notice this I've just got the stats up now Latavius Murray only rushed the ball seven times in this game for for 50 yards uh, sort of six six point nine yards a carry um usually we'd be getting screamed at why aren't we running the ball more it's just, I just found that quite interesting did you find that it was the same when 
when Lamar was throwing the ball well. It feels to me like when the ball, when when the Ravens are throwing the ball well, there's less there's less clamor for the run game to to start to start going. I don't know if that's that's part of it. With Hundley, they use the passing game a lot more like the running game, kind of an old school West Coast kind of approach where you're you're moving the ball very quickly over four or five yards in lieu of running it. And you can see that in the way Hollywood was used on Sunday. I think it was 10 catches for 43 yards or something, which is kind of running back stats. That's not what you expect from a speedy wide receiver like Hollywood. Yeah, really odd stat line for Hollywood Brown. 10 receptions for 43 yards along of yeah. seven and uh, 14 targets. 10 receptions for Mark Andrews for 136 yards with two touchdowns along of 43 and 13 targets. As we've said, Andrews had just an awesome day. And then a few little scattered receptions for Duvernay Prochet, Wallace Bateman, Murray and Freeman all getting one apart from Duvernay with three. Okay, Shane. More analytics rows going for the touchdown early, going for the two late, not going for two down eight. How are you feeling about all that this week? So it's been interesting being a Ravens fan this season because they are clearly one of the more forward-thinking, not the most forward-thinking franchise in terms of following analytics, but they're more forward-thinking than a lot. And the way these things typically work is with the old-school football types who don't like football being reduced to numbers and probabilities. They want it about brute force and who's going to smash you from behind and all that kind of stuff. They, they Their typical response is to go, ah, analytics, stupid decision, just take the point. And actually, not everything that John Harbour was doing was analytics-driven. So going for two late on is an example of that. So there's, there's, the analytics thinking is that when you're down by eight points, that's when you take the two-point conversion. So the penultimate touchdown for the Ravens, the one that made it, um, it would have been 31-23. At that point, the Ravens should have gone for two with exactly the same logic that we talked about in um, the Browns game that if you go for two and it fails, then you know what you have to do. You know you have to go for two and succeed the next time. So the idea is to get as much knowledge as you can as early as possible because it's a game that you can't predict. Harbour didn't do that. And I don't know, he, he sort of, he was asked why he didn't do that. And he went into a sort of um, a talk about how much time was left and started talking about how much time was left for the second two-pointer. So I don't know if he just didn't want to answer that question or whether he was confused about which two-point they were asking him about. I kind of think that it may have been a psychological thing from Harbaugh, that he just didn't want to, if they'd gone for two and failed, he didn't want to put that pressure on a team that was down so many starters and that had really clawed its way into the game. I think he was thinking psychologically, I want this team to stay within reach. And then at the end, obviously, the decision to go for two, you have all of the old school types saying you just kick the point and play for overtime. The way that Packers offense was playing... I really think you have to go to try and win the game there because I know that the Ravens got a stop late on and that was a great performance by the defence, but most of the time it was a hot knife through butter. They were just being completely carved up. And with all the pressure off, the Packers had won the toss, got the ball to start overtime. Rodgers would have just marched that team down the field really easily and got them in the end zone. So I think that was the right call. Um, the other one then is the is the going for too early and not taking the field goal. Uh, again, you have to sort of take, take the points brigade. That was an analytics decision, I think. that the, If you look at all of this analytics stuff, depends on your model that you use, and every team has a slightly different model. But 
you're looking at the win percentage and whether your likelihood of winning the game increases if you do option A versus option B. There was a slight increase in win probability if they went for the fourth down. But again, the other thing that would have driven that decision is the Ravens would have made a game plan decision early in the game, uh, early in the week when they were preparing for this game, that we need touchdowns, not field goals. And so there would be somebody in Harbaugh's ear at that fourth down saying, we agreed that for anything shorter than fourth and X, we were going to go for it. And so that would have been a decision they would have made on Wednesday or Thursday in the week before. But yeah, this is going to be, it's an interesting time to watch the Ravens because they're in very much two schools of thought on whether you take the points or you follow the analytics play. I, I like the first one especially because it, it did a couple of things for me. It's, it's early enough in the game that, that you can roll the dice there. But it also, when, when you failed on fourth down, it showed the defence that Harbaugh had a little bit of trust in them, a little bit of faith that they could get a stop there. The, the Packers are up against their own line. They ran it on first down, ran on second down, very conservative play calls. Uh, on third down, thank God, Rogers misses Devontae Adams, I think it is, who's, who's streaking down the left sideline. So they go three and out, punt the ball away to about halfway. And as Gaz mentioned last week, the Packers special teams unit is special. And the guy just, <laughs> du- Duvernay calls for the, the fair catch. And, and the guy just runs straight into him and gives us another 15 <laughs> yards. So we start that drive already inside the Packers half. Five or six plays later, we're in the end zone. Touchdown, we're up seven, seven, nothing. So I like that that call especially. The one late on, I, I tweeted as soon as we scored a touchdown, go for two, had had no problem with it. The, the one issue where it gets a little bit, a little bit thorny for me is, there was still 40 seconds on the clock. Aaron Rodgers has still got a timeout. So saying you would have won or lost the game there, saying the game would have gone into overtime, that's a lot of time for Aaron Rodgers still to drive down the field. Well, I've thought I'm going to offer some counterpoints on this as well because I've been thinking quite a bit, had nothing else to do really this week um, about, <laughs> about those decisions, especially with the game. Um, early on, firstly, going for it on fourth down, um, Harbour said in a press conference later that most of his decisions are driven by his gut still, even though he listens to analytics. To me, at that point in the game, um, and I said it at the time, so I'm not being a hypocrite, uh, I thought we should have kicked the three. Uh, I thought it was such a composed, time-sapping drive um, by the offence. And I agreed with going for it on fourth earlier in that very drive because of the position on the field. It just felt like, and also it was fourth and one, it was a very makeable fourth down. Um, that we'd easily get that, and we did. Um, but at that point, it just felt like we were kind of uh, running out of steam a little bit on that drive. Uh, the fourth was going to be a bit of a stretch. And to get points at that point in the game, the early stage of the game, um, and some kind of reward for that drive was the right call in my view. But having said that, it's not, you know, I wasn't apoplectic with rage that we went for it, because this is what you get with John Harbour especially. Um, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. So that's the first point on the drive there. Uh, certainly on the uh, later two-point conversion, the other thing to mention, I think, on that is that, yes, there was 41 seconds or whatever there was left, and we had no secondary. So um, Rogers, I think if he wanted to, could carve through. The reason that they had gone out um, and we got a chance to get the ball back before that was because Green Bay are not going to do anything too egregiously stupid or, or adventurous at that point because they're they're winning the game. So they're going to be a little conservative. I think if we had gone for, or well, we did go for two, if we converted that two, I think there's a very good chance we still have lost that game because 
Green Bay are behind. They've got nothing to lose. And there's a pretty good likelihood of that with a, with the timeouts as well and the seconds on the clock that Rodgers is going to get into field goal range and they're going to kick it with time expiring and we're going to lose that game. Whereas if we had um, decided to kick the extra point and go for overtime, we're going back to that scenario of Green Bay not wanting to do anything too stupid to turn the ball over and give us a game-winning field goal. So there'd be a bit of conservatism there and I'd like our chances of going to overtime at that point. Now, I'm only saying that we'd have won the game if we'd won the toss. If we'd lost the toss in overtime, then we lose the game. So then you get back to the two-point situation of, well, basically, you should have 50-50 on two points. The Ravens don't have 50-50 on two points because we're terrible at converting them this season. But ordinarily, you're kind of looking at, well, you know, you've got half, half the chance of, uh, of getting it, basically winning the game, putting the game on the back of a thoroughly deple- depleted defence um, to try and, um, and get it done. But um, So I think being really, really nitpicky and having thought about it all week, um, I'd have preferred that we'd kick the extra point and taken our chances on overtime. But um, again, I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, rage-filled about it because there's so many times this season where going for it has paid off, um, and we've pulled out victories that we had no right in winning. So um, there it is. It's it's this is how and I'd much rather as well go out swinging than go out with a soft defence where we, Andy Dalton throws on us in fourth down and we're out of the playoffs, or you know <laughs> we do something. We we just you know we how many years did we have you know prevent defense or uh, some stupid error at the end or not going for it and being just furious with rage at Brian Billick or whoever it was at the time that had made that decision so you know I'll take it I, I will take aggressive losing football over um you know kind of losing in a in a pathetic way can um can someone explain to me the argument which I, I see this all the time you've got the best kicker in the league why don't you let him win it in overtime if you win the coin toss, the best outcome is Tucker never gets on the field. You score a touchdown, you win the game. If you lose the, co- the coin toss, the worst outcome is Tucker can't affect the game anyway. They score a touchdown, it's game over. Having Justin Tucker in the fourth quarter with 10 seconds left on the clock and you're anywhere on the field, that's an advantage. You've got the best kicker in the game. I'll let him have a go from wherever he wants to. I don't get this argument that in overtime, because you've got Justin Tucker, you've got a 90% chance of winning the game. Maybe it should just go straight to penalties. Maybe that's what, maybe that's what that. fans are looking for, a penalty shootout. The problem, the problem is you've got that a little bit in college now where after a, a couple of periods of overtime, they, they will basically exchange two-point conversions now, um, which is, and it's, it's terrible. <laughs> it's just awful. My preferred approach is still for overtime games in regular season, just get rid of them. Just, it's, it's okay if the game ends in a tie. And if you don't want to end, end it in a tie, then you have to go all out to win it. But otherwise, it's try just... telling Americans. Try telling Americans it's okay to end in a tie. They don't get it. The brain does not compute. I'd been thinking that the the other way to get around this is just to um, to basically treat a tie as a loss when it comes down to tie breaking. So you have no overtime, and in the event of a game finishing as a tie, both teams get an L for tie breaking purposes which means that you're going to have a game where both teams are desperate to win because otherwise you both lose. And so get rid of overtime, have an exciting finish to every regular season game. Don't really have ties because they all count as losses for tie-breaking purposes. That's my theory for fixing the NFL. My pitch, my pitch for commissioner. 
Just going back to what we're talking about with Harbour and his and going with his gut. I think he's just making gut decisions like he's got a, a full roster out there. Because you go back six months, you go back a year. And as ben, as Ben said, all these gut decisions he was making were paying off. We, we won the Kansas City game because Harbour made that decision to go for it. Think about the games we won in 2019, 2020 because of Harbour's gut. And we just, we're a depleted roster that has got absolutely no right being in any of these games. To take Green Bay down to one point, a game in which they clinched the NFC North and became the leaders in the NFC against, it's never good when before the game, all the Ravens beat writers are tweeting out jersey names and numbers so you can work out who's who. Shout out to Robert Jackson in number 17 wearing the old Le'Veon Bell jersey. And we, yeah, we don't deserve to be in any of these games. And next year, I mean, I'm a big... Ben, as before we, get, we got on the podcast today, Ben, we talked about like how we'll sneak into the back end of the playoffs. For me, I, if we lose out now and get an awesome draft pick for next year and we come back with a healthy team we pick before the other AFC North teams and get probably the biggest bully on the O-line we possibly can. Apart from the I'm Browns. happy with that. Let's just let's just let let's just let this season go, write it off as a bad job, and, and just start again next year. And whether that doesn't make me a, a true fan or whatever, but we've we've had a laugh. We've done way better than what we expected. So for me, let's let's just look forward to to next year. I can see why your fantasy team went 0-7 on the back half of the season. <laughs> I, I don't think it doesn't make you a true fan because I, I don't think you, you're advocating that we lose on purpose. I think you're just saying that if we do lose, hey, it's okay, it's been a fun ride. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm really on that uh, that thought process as well at the moment as well in that anything's gravy at the moment with how many people we've got out. And um, if we do make the playoffs, then great. I'd love it because it would be one of the best coaching achievements in the modern NFL to get this team into the playoffs. But uh, if we don't, it's been a fun ride and I think we've done better than anyone could have expected looking at our roster. The video of Harbour did the rounds again, didn't it? I think it was yesterday of him asking just about everyone whether they wanted to go for two at the end. I was surprised he didn't pop up and ask Cassie and Eric DeCosta and a few <laughs> others. He was he was asking everyone. But I think we said it in the in the Kansas game. He knew he was going for two there. That's I think a lot of that is is for show. It's to to show his players that he trusts them, that he believes in them. But Harbour makes these decisions. He knows he's going for it. Hey John, this is Eric DeCosta, <laughs> and I think you should go for two. <laughs> <laughs> oh man <laughs> freaked us uh, all out again okay um, yeah. just, I've got I've got my standard um, Gaza's really important notes in the game these referees are making these NFL games really really hard to watch this year and I've never really been one to I imagine it's a hard job there's five of them they don't get paid a proper wage they all are plumbers in the spare time or whatever they're doing but that that pass interference call to just just gift Aaron Rodgers a touchdown. It's just a, it's just there's no consistency. This refereeing is a, a joke, and it is making these games really hard to watch, isn't it? It was a disgrace, by the way, Gaz, because that was a, if 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 that they shouldn't have been given, and it literally gave them a touchdown. It was at that point they were in, they were going to kick a field goal. Um, it was clearly nothing. I mean, the the the, the definition 
of a bad DPI. In, in fact, there were some, I think, accounts on Twitter from fairly respected sources who were saying that it was the worst DPI they've seen, or certainly one of the two worst DPIs they've seen, if you take out that. It was at the Rams game a few years ago. Um, so it was shocking, and it was a four-point swing. And at, at the end of the game, and obviously there are other moments in the game, you're also assuming that if they didn't get that call then the game would have played out exactly the way it played, which isn't the way it happened if you're a fan of kind of, you know, sort of uh, sliding door style movies, as I am, or <laughs> Last Train to Christmas, which I watched last night and would actually recommend. It wasn't too bad. But um, <laughs> the uh, uh, but that would have been a four-point swing. Uh, th- at that point, at the end of the game, we score the touchdown, we kick the extra point, we have a four-point lead uh, to defend, and Aaron Rodgers has to go, you know, basically... 80, 85 yards in 40 seconds and has to score a touchdown, otherwise we win the game. So it was an absolute disgrace. Okay, let's get back onto the actual game and not just moaning about life and the Ravens and referees in general. Um, Let's look at, you talk about the defense, Ben. Let's stay with those. Mostly a poor performance with just a couple of moments of okayness mixed in there. But again, what do you expect? It's uh, you know, it, it was a, a secondaryless defense. I mean, it, it couldn't have been you know. Once the news came out prior to the game that one guy was out, it was followed by yes another, you know. And then you think, well, yeah, at least we got Chris Westry. Uh, I never thought I'd think that. And then, <laughs> and then he's uh, he's also ruled out. We lose Tavon Young during the game as well. We get, you know, I'm sorry, Mr. Robert Jackson, but this is for real. He comes on the field and, <laughs> wearing a 17. Um, and, and literally, we're all looking at our, you know, kind of depth charts from preseason saying, who the hell is this guy? I mean, I looked at the website. It's st- he's still not on the depth chart, I don't think, in the, in the cornerbacks on the Baltimore Ravens website. So, I mean, we are playing with third stringers covering, you know, three. I mean, Devontae Adams is an all pro uh, virtually uncoverable by even the very top tier cornerbacks anyway and then yeah the other two are no slouches either um so uh, you, you're in a situation where you know you've got rogers to who's able to pick his poison and you have to be able to get pressure on him um with a front that has had mixed success this year and is also you know not 100 percent itself so i think uh, the way they played was actually about as well as they could have played for the personnel that was on the field. And I thought Martindale did as good a job as he could have done as scheming up for Rodgers and their offence as far as trying to limit. And, you know, watching the game, you knew throughout the game that they were going to score essentially on every drive. So what we needed was probably one stop and one turnover and us ourselves to actually keep trading the punches blow for blow with Rodgers on offense to have a chance and we nearly did that as well um, and we obviously had that crucial stop towards the end of the game that we just talked about which again um, is a miracle it's a miracle a few miscues and things like that as well from 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 the Packers which helped but um, and that's all we needed really to 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 stay in that game and and, and who knows they could have they could have done something um, in, in overtime or in that last 41 seconds but you know I wasn't disappointed with the defensive performance because you know you look at that I mean, you look at the start of the season that, you know, we were embarrassed by the riches that we had as in the secondary in the cornerback position. And obviously, you know, our two safeties are out too as well. So starting the free and strong safeties are out too. So <laughs> it's, um, you know, we've got Tony Jefferson trotting on, God bless him, who's, you know, kind of 53 now. 
and um, you know creaking as he walks on. But you know, loving seeing that Jefferson jersey again, um, and you know, he at least he knows the way we play on defense and he knows the calls and, and, and he knows the scheme. So um, if nothing else, I think his, his uh, influence there was a major bonus for the really, really young kids that are, you know, trying to, to get this done. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it was as expected. And we, and we just probably faced the most high octane offense. We will for the rest of the season with the exception, if they're on it on Sunday of the Bengals. But um, yeah, I thought they, I thought they did, I think they acquitted themselves well. Do you know how old Tony Jefferson actually is, by the way? Anyone want to take a guess? He's about, 30, about 32 30 or something. Four. It's 29. Oh, oh really? <laughs> I know. He's I only was, a I year older yeah. than Robert Jackson. Yes. <laughs> From what Wikipedia tells me. I, <laughs> I thought that the defence did, did pretty well in this game. If you go and look at it, they held held Aaron Rodgers under 300 yards. They held Devontae Adams under 50 yards. And I'm sure James is dying to tell you how, how Wink did that. Cause it was, it was pretty special. Um, if, if you haven't seen it, um, and you, you can't run on this defense. Why, why would you, you, you can pass against it. So, um, I think those stats are, are slightly skewed, but I thought Wink had, had a really nice game here and I'm going to let James tell you, tell you exactly what he did. Thanks, Liam. <laughs> the, um, I think what was interesting was, uh, you know, I write battle plans each week for, for Russell Street Report. And when I get something, when I when I suggest the Ravens do something and they actually do it, it's like a golf shot. There's like one or two every few weeks uh, that are actually in the hole. And I think <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the it's that wasn't as bad as smash you from behind. <laughs> so you didn't need that. <laughs> the um the thing that I that I suggested was and I, I think it was it was solid strategy was that you, you know, there is a plan that you can put in place for a number one wide receiver which includes you know locking up, up with your best corner and um, trailing that that corner across him all game and probably rolling some coverage towards him and the same you know um from from deep safeties what the, I thought the Ravens should do and what they actually ended up doing was to go even further than that because you had such a problem, such a de- such a depleted secondary that you could take it even further and just basically just say, there's no way Devontae Adams is ever catching this ball. We're going to put like six guys on him and we don't care. And it's kind of what they did. I'm exaggerating a bit, but there were times when they lined up a gauntlet of two guys in man coverage. There was one um, pressing him at the line, and then there was one stood eight yards behind him. So once he beat the first guy, he still had to beat the second guy. And then in some of those plays, they were also rolling a safety over that side mm. as well. So it was just impossible for Adams to ever get, just ever get going. And the bet they were making was that Alan Lazard and Marquez Valdez-Scantling weren't good enough to beat them. And unfortunately, they were slightly just too good to to for the Ravens to beat them. Lazard and Valdez-Scantling, I think it is a it is a good bet to make. They're not great receivers i've studied valdez scantling in detail over the summer actually and he's you know he's not a, he's a guy that you should gamble could could not beat you but actually they just had just had a little bit too much the, the other person i want to give a quick mention to is justin madabike who had a phenomenal game in this game i'm going to do a um a film room for cole jackson's uh, youtube channel on madabike who has got better and better as the season went on. And in this game, he was an utter wrecking ball against the run. And he got a sack in this game as well. He's turned into um, a bit of a terror into inside for the Ravens. And I, I think he's going to be a guy that's going to 
kind of hold down that defensive line for for another couple of years. Patrick Queen showed up quite a lot. Is leading the stat sheet with thirteen total tackles. Another good game from Patrick Queen. And that was the other adjustment that the Ravens made. The other adjustment they made was this: um, the way they defended the 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 Packers um, uh, run game was that we was the the Ravens basically sort of um, moved away from what they normally do with the, with the three uh, four defense and with um, the two gap two gap stuff they do in run defense and actually ran mostly with a four four man front most of the game most of most four down linemen most of the time and just decided to play a slightly different form of, of run defense and and had the had it put onto the linebackers and it it paid off actually Patrick Queen did a did a great job there was guys flying around and uh, it really was a was a good job of defending that run scheme which can be difficult to face um Dylan and Jones are both great running backs and it's a good scheme so so James let's talk about Ben Cleveland cuz i understand you've been falling out with some of your friends over Ben Cleveland <laughs> <laughs> what what are your thoughts I'm not sure I've been falling out with my friends. Uh, yeah, and I certainly haven't, like, I'm, I'm on the same page as a couple of people about him. Um, we should talk about Ben Cleveland. He, play, he played, you know, a full game this weekend. And uh, I, there were some interesting um, <laughs> interesting developments in his game. There are some things that I think that he's, um, he's really improved on. Um, I thought he worked really well in double teams with Bradley Bozeman. But I thought there were some elements to his game that still need address. And uh, sorry, I should also mention his pass protection, which was which was good coming out of college, and you know was was a strength of his. And um, it looked really good this weekend. I, I would say that he was going up against Kingsley Kiki and Tedderell Slayton, and, and so the level of competition was pretty low. But it was a it was a good performance nonetheless. The the areas that he still has for development. So the, the the kid has never really been great in sort of as with reactive athleticism, going out in space and being able to to block someone. So the Ravens tried to sort of limit what he what they asked of him. And unfortunately, on a couple of the pulls, I felt he was just going to hit the first thing that moved, and it was not really what you want want an offensive lineman and a pulling guard to be to be doing on a play. You want him to try and make the play functional. There was one in particular where. The Ravens were trying to occupy uh, Rashawn Gary getting upfield, who was going quite far upfield, with Hollywood Brown coming across on a motion. Now, obviously, Brown's not going to block Gary, but he's going to at least take his attention away. And then Cleveland turns up inside and goes up into the hole to go and to go and block someone in the second level. What Cleveland did was saw Rashawn Gary flash, didn't care that Hollywood Brown was coming across the formation, and just went and blocked Gary because it was the nearest thing to, to block. There was another time when Gary hits him pretty hard as he's coming across on a pull, and Villanueva is pulling behind him, and Gary hits Cleveland hard enough that it ruins Villanueva's pull at the same time. So there were a few things that just didn't work on the pulling. And then the other thing that was that was difficult was his drive blocking. I just You, you really want to see the guy finish blocks, and he's just he's not really moving his feet on contact. So there's lots of elements to sort of wind into his game. He's very... Very young, and uh, he's you know he's very young in terms of in the NFL. So a lot of this stuff will come. Um, I would definitely recommend if people want to really get into Ben Cleveland, go and watch. Um, we've had him on uh, earlier in the in the year. Cole Jackson's uh, two guys watching football YouTube. He, he has um, done a video breakdown of um, of Ben Cleveland. It's really good, and you should go and watch it if you if you're a bit more interested in that. Cole's going to have to start paying us soon because that's about three weeks running now. Yep. We've plugged his YouTube, so show us the money. He did buy some merch though, so he's sort of paying. He is paying us. Do you think people are just in love with Ben Cleveland because of his pure sort of physical 
stature and the fact that he looks like a beast, he should play like a beast. And even if he doesn't play like a beast, people think he has played like yeah, a beast. Yeah, I think that comes into it a lot. He's He just isn't yet taking advantage of that size in certain ways. You know, the drive block is the is the kind of most basic of blocks. And because he has such such size and heft, if he just moved his feet on contact, he really would crush some people. But he just doesn't do that consistently. So I, 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 that's an interesting one. I don't know whether that does get better with time. So it'll be interesting to see if they can if they can kind of drive that into him that he needs to be doing that. But yeah, he doesn't always maul people as much. I don't know where he's got this reputation of being a mauler. It, it's not quite there yet. Um, and I, you don't you don't have to see. You know, there's three phases to a block. There's positioning, there's fitting and finishing. Positioning is getting in position to, to make the block. Fitting is getting your body in the right in the right situation to be able to, to make the to make the block to, to make the hit. And then finishing is making the block functional. It doesn't have to finishing is not just driving somebody into the ground. We don't have to see somebody drive somebody into the ground. You hear people talk about finishing all the time, and it's not always about that big that big hit where you can knock someone on their backside. It's actually about making the block functional. Can you can you turn someone's hips and, and shoulders just enough to open up enough daylight for your back? That's you finish the block if you do that. And he's just not really doing that at this point. So, you know, we'll want to we want to see that. I think he's, you know, like I said, he's got plenty of time and this was this was his first I think this was his first kind of full start. He's played lots of um games where he's rotated in and out of get of games with another guy but this was his first for one so it'd be interesting to see how it goes going forward okay ian so the ravens have lost three straight four of six the first team in nfl history to lose three games on the bounds with a score of four points across all three games i'm coming to you mr optimistic mr motivator can the ravens make the playoffs they can make the playoffs. I've got this playoff picture predictor thing page open at the minute. It looks like I'm going to show my age here. It's, it's a sort of top of the pops job. So the, the, <laughs> the Ravens are falling down four places this week, and they're they're now sitting outside the playoffs. Just to to put into perspective how big this game Sunday is, um, if the Ravens win this game, there's an eighty percent chance they make the playoffs. The Ravens lose this game. That that chance goes down to twenty eight percent. That's that's the margins of this game. This this game is huge. So yes, they can still make the playoffs. Should they? Do we want them to? I I think this room's probably split on split on that as well. Some of us would like to see the Ravens just get in, even if they're going to get bounced again. Um, some of us would prefer the the better draft pick. But but yes, if you're if you're an optimist and you want to see the Ravens playing playoff football, one hundred percent the Ravens can still get in the playoffs. Okay, let's jump into some news then. Oh, James, COVID is rearing its ugly head. We started off the news segment with Justin Houston goes on the COVID list, replaced by Penel McPhee, who immediately joins him on the COVID list. However, whilst we've been recording, another four players have been added, which makes 15 in total now. So we are going to be fielding a very, very banged up team against a pretty good Cincinnati offense on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, th- this is disastrous, really. Like, this is the worst possible time this could have happened. Ian's just laid out the stakes of what this game is to the Ravens. There's just... Uh, and, you know, for anybody that's forgotten, I'm sure you haven't, this this was a, this was a very difficult game first time <laughs> around. 
this Bengals team, it's a matchup league and this Bengals team matches up exceptionally well with this, with, with the Ravens, their, their defense is, is a, is a challenge um, for our offense because of how kind of chameleon like they are, they can do lots of different things and they have no real tendency to hang your hat on. So it's really difficult. And obviously that offense was already going to be a problem because you can't do what they did against Devontae Adams and just focus on one of those receivers. If you do that, the other two are going to beat you. And quite frankly, CJ Uzama might beat you as well if you're not careful. So it's just, it's, it's, it's the worst. It was the worst possible time to lose all of our DBs a couple of games before the Bengals game, but to lose everything else. I've seen Matabike's gone on. I was just talking about him earlier in the podcast about how great he's been. That's a huge hole on the defensive line. It's just, uh, it's hard to see how the Ravens get out of this game with a win if the Bengals are entirely healthy. Yeah, that's that's fifteen on the COVID list for the Ravens. One on the COVID list for the Bengals. If you're if you're keeping score, one of the names oh to to really keep a close eye on is Geno Stone, who who wore the green dot um, this week. If you don't with Chuck Clark out, if you don't know what that is, he he gets all the play calls. He then relays that to everybody else on the defense. Um, so Geno Stone did that this week. That would have been the first time he's done it. You take him out. You're then you're probably starting Anthony Levine at safety. I, I don't know really where else you go. So that's you, you've then got a third person in three weeks who's, who's going to be relaying all these calls to everyone, and it really it really cuts down on what Wink can do because you don't want to be throwing out all these these you know design blitzes and all this stuff. And then we saw how how complicated it is earlier in the season with Marlon and Chuck Clark and all these guys in there. So you start putting people in there that. Have Tony Jefferson been practicing for a couple of weeks. It's a disaster waiting to happen. And don't forget, we've also lost uh, David Sharp, who, from what my eyes saw, had a really good game at right tackle on the game on Sunday. So, um, <laughs> 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 yourself, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so to, to make matters worse, um, Ben Lamar didn't practice again on. Wednesday. So unless you're one of these Tyler Huntley, let's trade Lamar believers, that that's not trending in the right direction, is it? No, no. As I said last week, it's I mean it's day to day, which again is is out, isn't it? Um, normally uh, these days. So uh, again, it's I don't think it's a disaster if uh, if Huntley's starting as we've seen last week. He's just going to get better week on week. So I think that's the least of our problems. Um, quarterback, which. You know, go back to the start of the season. You said Lamar was going to be out. You'd all be running around panicking, but I think it's uh, it's it's small beer compared to what we've just learnt tonight. And I don't know if the rest of you are just starting to feel numb to this sort of news. <laughs> it's tweeted yeah. on a nearly nightly basis, isn't it? Especially as you get closer to a game, and you just go, "This is." This is it. This is, I mean, it's it's just it, it. It just seems destined just to go blow after blow after blow. Yeah, here you go. Here's another one, and um, it, it's it's relentless. It's I've never seen a season like it for a Ravens team. I mean, even so, people keep saying about 2015 and stuff, but I mean, I think the fact that we've also been in uh, for yeah, we still are in for the postseason at this point uh, makes it um, all the more remarkable and also heartbreaking because it always seems to be the Ohio teams lately that are just suddenly becoming the healthiest they've ever been. The bastards. I'm sorry, you can cut that out. But, you know, I mean, you say Bengals just got one on on, on IR, on, on COVID. Um, and 
yeah, it just it's it's once injuries abate, then COVID seems to take hold, and and it's just the, what we're in at the moment in a vicious cycle. So, um, yeah, but if if Tyler's starting, I'll be more than happy to see him again, um, and I think he'll have he'll 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 acquit himself well, and um, you know it's uh, it is what it is with uh, with this team at the moment. So by the time you guys listen to this podcast, the Pro Bowl rosters will be out. As we record on our later Wednesday evening slot, they're still not out, but it's looking like um, Justin Tucker and Patrick Ricard will make the roster. So that will be very good for them. Just very quickly, we're going to an interview with Alex Kirby from Throw Deep Publishing, who's written a book on the Greg Roman offense and is going to come on and just talk to us a little bit about the offense to see... If what's going right, what's going wrong. Let's just talk about something before we get out of here on Tyler Huntley and Lamar Jackson. Now, we're all big believers that Lamar Jackson's our guy. We're very clearly going to pay him. This isn't a quarterback um, competition. We've got what appears to be an awesome backup in Tyler Huntley, still in a rookie deal, locked in for another three, four years. Excellent. Is there any world... And James, this is maybe you if you started looking towards the draft. I know that it's a low, it's a, a, a meant to be a bad quarterback draft. Is there any world where someone comes up with a draft pick good enough for Huntley? Let's say he plays these next three games and plays out of his mind. He looks like Lamar Jackson 2.0 or Baby Jackson or whatever you want to call him. What, what would it cost and would the Ravens even ever consider it? Yeah, so... Sorry, for Huntley, that is not for Jackson, just for to Huntley, be very yeah. clear. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. The three game the, the the three game scenario that you've thrown out is is a really important differentiator here. If it's as it is currently, I can't see anybody paying what the Ravens would want to give up on a cheap backup of Huntley's caliber. Like it, it's it really isn't advantageous to the Ravens. You know, you maybe someone would come up with maybe a second round pick for him, how it currently is at the moment. And I'm not sure unless it was a really high second that the Ravens would, would accept that. I think they would want a first round pick just to give up on the value that Huntley will give them as a cheap backup, as a cheap, very good backup to, to Lamar. So I, I think it would be difficult under current circumstances. If he puts in three more great performances and finishes out the season and looks, looks phenomenal, then maybe a team would consider turning their their kind of offense and their their franchise over to him and would have to you know do a little bit of what he's a bit more of a pocket passer but they, they would have to do a little bit of what the ravens have done with to their offense and to their whole their whole kind of franchise to to bring in Huntley so you you're making a big commitment to the kid i would love to see somebody do it and pay up for him and and give us a first round pick i'd be very surprised if somebody does There is a chance, like you said, that the quarterback class is questionable. There are there are some interesting names. There's some some guys that you you might want to take a look at, but they are they all have question marks. They're all interesting projects. There's not a kind of slam dunk. Bryce Young isn't coming out this year. He's the slam dunk best quarterback in college at the moment, and he's still in college for another year. So you you could see someone convincing themselves that they need to take a chance on a guy who's shown two, three games worth of tape um, in the NFL. But, you know, most of the league didn't draft him. No, the whole league didn't draft him. So uh, that wasn't that long ago. So I'd be surprised if someone came up with a with a big, big enough pick 
to tempt the Ravens away. Yeah, I, I agree with with James here, and it's it's worth pointing out his worth to the Ravens. You look around the league; there's an awful lot of backup quarterbacks making an awful lot of money, stealing livings. You're looking at Mike Glennon and people like this that have done it for years, and Huntley's making no money whatsoever. He's shown that he can run this offense. He he can do it. And the Ravens are going to pay Lamar. They're going to be tight money-wise. And they're going to have to draft. They've got a ton of draft uh, capital. They're going to have to draft well. And they're going to have to use these cheap guys. They they can't afford to be paying. Look at what they were paying RG3 type type money for a backup quarterback. They They can't afford to do it. If anyone is wondering why Shane's gone awfully quiet about this, um, I think we've had some sort of connection issue and we've unfortunately lost him. Um, his across-the-pond connection has gone. So let's jump to the interview with Alex. Let's see if we can get Shane back for the interview. And we will pick this up at the other side of this jingle. So, to talk about the various Twitter fighting that is going on over Greg Roman's offense, we are now joined by Alex Kirby. Alex is a former coach who now writes football books, which are huge into analyzing game. He wrote a book on Greg Roman's scheme in December 2020 called Breaking Down the Ravens Offense, a deep dive into a unique NFL offense. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thanks for having me. No, no problem. So let's jump straight into it. Just tell us, I'll give you a quick introduction there, but tell us about your coaching history and your interest in the NFL game. Um, you know, I have a, a little bit different uh, story than maybe a lot of guys uh, who are in this space, uh, you know, in, in the U.S. Because I, I never actually played organized football. Um, so it was... <laughs> It's a, it's a much too long of a story for your for your show here, but basically, uh, my parents thought it was a waste of time growing up, and so what I, what I ended up doing was uh, becoming a broadcaster uh, at, at our student radio station, kind of uh, covering the games there. And then my senior year, I got on as like a video guy, so I would shoot practices and, and be at practice during the week, and then continue to um, to c- continue to broadcast the games on Friday nights and. After I graduated, I just kind of stuck around and continued to help a little bit and, and continue to uh, build, get more responsibility. Well, I was at Indiana State uh, for a couple of years, worked as a video guy, and also did a lot of analysis work there as well. And then um, ended up back at uh, Ben Davis High School, which is you know where I graduated from, where I learned a lot of football and was the special teams coordinator there uh, this most recent season um, before I stepped away. So... Um, you know, I, I've coached a, a little bit at the high school and worked a little bit at the college level, learned a lot, met a lot of cool people. Um, but I've always loved studying the game, whether or not I'm actually coaching at any given time or not. You know, it's something that, you know, I'm sure growing up, a lot of people, whatever that might be, it's something that, um, you know, I think a lot of us have those moments where we're like, OK, this is really cool, like as a kid. And I, it's kind of one of those things where I know I'm going to be interested in it for forever. Um, and so that was football with me. So that's that's kind of my origin story, if you will. And uh, started writing a little bit about football online probably about seven, eight years ago, uh, give or take. Uh, I've always done it since then a little bit. And it's just kind of continued to grow since then. Okay, well, I mean, that's um, – and also I think a lot of listeners would would, would uh, be – 
very into doing what you do if they <clears throat> if they could or they uh, they had the especially as you're now sort of touring i mean you're in brazil at the moment aren't you are you, are you actually touring brazil or are you uh, on vacation or do you live there what's what's the deal there uh, i'm not i'm not living here but uh i the 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 place where i'm from indianapolis indiana it's it's quite cold right now uh and i about had enough of that last year <laughs> So um, I, I had to dig out my car from the snow. I had to. I was basically iced and locked into my house for a solid month or so. Um, and I said, you know what? I'm I'm gonna after this season's over, I'm gonna take advantage of the ability to go somewhere warmer uh, and just hang out there for a little while. So um, yeah, I'm I'm not sure. I don't have a specific return date, but uh, I wouldn't say I'm living here or anything. It's just kind of just trying something different. That's all. Well, I can't blame you for that. And so you have a you have a company called Throw, uh, Throw Deep Publishing. Um, so, what do they do, and what have you published so far? Um, so Throw Deep Publishing basically started out as just a a brand name to put behind you know the things that I did. Um, so you know we got several several different books. You know you mentioned the Ravens book, obviously, but I've done similar type of things with with other offenses. Um, you know Oklahoma you know, uh, coastal Carolina, that type of thing. Also did some compilation books, uh, specifically like, uh, situational football has always interested me. So like if you're, if you're talking about compiling plays for say, uh, two point conversions. So what I did uh, last year and I'm going to do again is, uh, compile all the most interesting plays from, from college and, and high school football, maybe even NFL, depending on what I find, uh, from, from a two point conversion scenario. And so I found 101 of those, um, you know, and, and so that's, that's kind of what it started as, but now we're, we're doing a lot of video content as well. Um, so working with coaches to, uh, I, I, you know, I don't know what your guys' experience have been when you've tried to find information or video on, I mean, I'm talking really detailed football information, but you know, the, the, the example I always use is uh, we've all bought those DVDs that are like, 40 minutes long for $40 and 15 minutes of it is like the coach's bio and it's not even really any information. So that's kind of, uh, I work with guys. Uh, I try to find guys who know what they're talking about, try to help them organize their thoughts. But from, from then on, it's, it's really all them. And it's just, it's been really cool to work with guys and put together some stuff that I'm really proud of actually. Like I, I really think it's as, it's as good as uh, products as you're going to find anywhere out there just because of the time spent just in the organization part, like, hey, let's make sure that this lasts a certain amount of time. Let's make sure we're covering all the topics that people want to listen to. Um, and, and I'm pretty happy with what we've done so far. And, and now that coaches everywhere have more time that the season is over, we're going to try and do a lot more of that uh, between now and when next season starts as well. Okay, well, before we uh, before we go today, just remind us um, to come back to We'll all chip in a few bucks for that two-point conversion book, and then we'll send a copy to John Harbour. <laughs> Sounds good, <laughs> Alex. You um, the, you'll probably know that there's you know obviously there's a big international fan base for the NFL, and especially in the UK. And I think the the fan base in the UK specifically is getting um, more and more intelligent about football and getting getting more into the X's and O's and under, trying to understand more. For a fan who's kind of on the start of that journey, what would your advice be to sort of getting into the kind of the deeper deeper parts of football? I think it depends on, you know, how deep do you want to go? Because like I, I tell people all the time, you know, when I was, when I was starting in, on, in that same direction, you know, 
the internet was it wasn't brand new, but you know it was there wasn't Facebook and Twitter and all this other stuff either. It was kind of a totally different world. Um, so I, you know, you really had to do a lot of googling to find a lot of different things to 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 find really useful information. Nowadays, man, it's just there's there's almost too much. Like just especially if you're just starting out. Now, once you get into the deeper parts of the subject, you know that 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 number starts to decline a little bit about sources that you can go to. But if you're literally just starting out, um, I, I think you can go just about anywhere. You can go on YouTube. Uh, you can you can find pe- people on Twitter. Um, you know, I, I know, uh, Shane, you sent me that that link um, from Stephen Ruiz in The Ringer. Um, he's a guy that does a lot of interesting work. You know, there's so many guys right now, um, you know, doing interesting work uh, at that level. And then um, when it once you feel like you've kind of mastered the basics, then it's just a matter of finding out like um, re- the same resources that coaches use, really. Um, you know, the American Football Coaches Association puts out a lot of great video content. There's a lot of companies that do that. Um, you know, I like to think that, you know, my company does as well. So there, I, I think it's just a matter of figuring out exactly what you want to learn, because at this point in the game, everybody's creating content around it at some level. So, um, you know, just just a matter of figuring out what you want to know and, and using Google at this point, because I, I think there's so many people doing so many cool things. And we touched on the Greg Roman book briefly already, but tell us a bit more about what you learned during that deep dive. What did you learn about his strengths and weaknesses? Did you find any kind of common misconceptions about how the offense actually runs? Well, um, it was interesting because I think the biggest misconception, and I, I think this was something that I talked about very early on in the book, was that they're running that Lamar Jackson is actually reading a whole lot of stuff. Now, I've you know, full disclosure, I haven't been in any quarterback meetings with those guys. I don't know what he's being told, uh, you know, every week. But I would be shocked if he is actually reading, quote unquote, reading defenders on, on a lot of those option plays. I think that's a matter of man- manufacturing matchups week to week, trying to find, you know, maybe the weak spot or the spot. Sometimes it's it's not the weak spot. It's the guy you just don't want to block and f- finding out ways to create schemes to account for him, whether or not he's being blocked or not. Um, the, the, the biggest thing I would say is, you know, Greg Roman gets a lot of criticism and I think a lot of it is justified um, because, you know, there's a playbook out there floating around from when he was in San Francisco, when he was doing this with Colin Kaepernick. And, and a lot of that stuff really is exactly the same. Um, now that doesn't mean it can't work. Doesn't mean it's, doesn't mean it's literally exactly the same, but a lot of the base schemes are exactly the same. Um, and so I think the criticism that you've probably heard and everybody here has heard um, that, you know, he needs a more diverse pass game is is justified because, you know, they don't really throw a lot of screens. Uh, the, it, it has tended to be in the past. And I'll be honest with you guys, I've not watched a ton of them this year. Um, so it, it's hard for me to give you a, a, a before and after. But from everything that I've seen in the past and the little bit I've seen this year, it's kind of stayed the same as far as um, very simplified pass game, um, you know, very kind of condensed formations, you know, heavy personnel on the field. And a lot of that stuff can work, but you've got to be smart about getting the ball down the field and in the intermediate game as well. Um, So I think if you were if you were a college offense, 
Um, and you, you weren't playing against NFL defenses every week who have all the time and assistant coaches in the world to scout every mo molecule of what you're doing. Uh, I think you might be better off uh, a little bit, but you know, the NFL is like using supercomputers at this point to try and scout opponent offenses and figure out what the weaknesses are. So you've got to do a better job of, of mixing things up. Now, that being said, obviously I like the, the base idea of what they're doing. I like it. Otherwise I wouldn't have put that whole project together. Um, but I think, you know, I think Greg Roman probably uh, could use uh, a separate pass game guy to, to kind of mix things up a little bit. And I don't know the dynamics of that staff, but that's one of the things when you're putting together a staff as a head coach, um, you know, a lot of times you're relying uh, on on the coordinators to do the bulk of that kind of stuff. And that's and that's where that, you know, John Harbaugh, obviously, we all know how great of a job he's done as a head coach. But at, at, when you're putting together a staff, you're relying on that guy to make those kind of calls. You're really entrusting them to do that, especially at that level where with all the notoriety and all the money those guys make. They, they you know, you kind of assume that those guys are going to do it. But, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if. If they, if the Ravens don't really make a deep run this year, it's going to be interesting to see what the fallout is on the staff, uh, you know, this coming off season. So you say you haven't watched a great deal of the Ravens this this year. Um, one thing I'm sure you have seen is is the last two weeks at the end of the game, the Ravens have gone for the the two point try, two weeks running failed. Um, you talked about them earlier. Do, your two points. What have you made of those play calls? I think all of us here agreed with going for, for two. We're not so hot on the actual calls that have been played. Have, have you seen them and, and what did you make of them? Well, I'll be honest with you. I saw the highlights. Um, it's I've, I've been traveling a little bit the past couple of weeks, so it's been tough for me to sit down and, and watch entire games. But I did see the I did see the actual clips of the plays themselves. I would just say this. I'm always in favor of going for it uh, in that situation, especially you know, I, I love what Harbaugh does. He's like, hey, guys, what do you want to do? Like, how are you feeling? Do you want to go for this? Do you, you feel? Um, and, you know, a lot of times that works. And when it works, I mean, that that, that just forms like a bond between you and, and the rest of the team. And I think every, I think it builds up belief. I mean, we can talk about analytics. Um, I'm not a huge math guy. I, I, got, I think I got a C in algebra in high school. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to I'm not trying to talk above my head here, but just from a psychological perspective, uh, you know, I, I really love playing for the win at, at all times. And especially, you know, when you're talking about try, having to possibly face, uh, lose a coin flip in overtime and give the ball to Aaron Rodgers and, you know, let him go down the field. Like, I think that was unquestionably the right call in that scenario for sure. Um, so I, I just, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to be the analytics uh, analytics guy and say you should always do it. I think every football game is is different based on the conditions and based on what's happened. But I would say most of the time, uh, I'm absolutely down for it. And you know, he's got a veteran team. He's got a lot of smart guys who obviously, like you haven't heard a ton of guys come out after that game complaining that they went for it. You know, so that team obviously kind of knows. You live by the sword, die by the sword, right? Like they kind of understand how to deal with the the results of that type of um, scenario, which is what you want. I mean, that's that tells you that you know they're you know they're that close, they're that far away from you know possibly being the one seed at this point, which they were, I think, earlier in the year, um, if not for a couple losses like this. So, you know, 
you just want, as a coach, you just want to see your guys compete and know how to accept those scenarios. Like if they had lost that game and you saw guys throwing their helmets and, you know, really ticked off and everything and talking and leaking stuff to the media about how terrible of a decision it was, uh, it wouldn't really have mattered if they'd won that game that much, to be honest with you, because that would have, that would have told you a whole lot about the character of the guys and the culture of the team in that, in that locker room. So um, I think that's, if you're looking for some, some encouragement there. I think that's your encouragement, encouraging um, moment there as, as a fan, because those guys obviously are behind the coach, whether or not and they're behind the coach. And they're obviously thinking process oriented versus results oriented, which is what you always want to see, especially when you're going to be super aggressive like that. Okay. Alex, well, we could sit here and talk to you about Greg Roman and the various sides of the argument on Twitter for hours, but we will not keep you for too long. So before we get out of here, where can the UK Ravens fans follow along and get smarter on the back of you? Uh, sure. No, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, just go to throwdeeppublishing.com uh, and you'll find the Ravens book. You'll find, uh, you know, if you if you are at that point uh, as, a, as a football fan, you're trying to learn more. I feel like we've got some pretty good resources for you there. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter at Alex J. Kirby uh, as well. Awesome. One thing we do make all the guests do, we have got the Cincinnati game coming up. I know you're traveling around Brazil. You haven't had a chance to watch a lot of football, but could you possibly give us a score prediction for the Ravens versus the Bengals next week? I can give you a prediction. I, I don't know if it'll be worth anything, but I can Go certainly give you a prediction. Uh, I, I would say, I would say, um, let's see, since this is a, since this is a Ravens podcast, I got to keep that in mind. I'm going to say Ravens 23, Bengals 20. Ravens 23, Bengals 20. Excellent. Well, thank you once again, Alex, for coming on. And yeah, we'll hopefully we'll have you on again sometime in the offseason or next season to talk about how much better it's all going for us. Absolutely. We'd love to do it. Appreciate you. Thank you for your time, Alex. And there goes Alex from Throw Deep Publishing. So we've reached the part of the show, gentlemen, where we usually, well, we usually have a guest on from the other opposing team to preview the game. Now, with us having Alex on, it's down to us guys to preview the game. But as we've touched on in the news, there's 15 players on the COVID list already, apart from the Bengals have only got one. So it's tough to know. COVID's rearing its ugly head. Let's just let's just accept that. It's tough to know that this game may not happen on Sunday at all if things get progressively worse. And we can't give any quality analysis because we don't know who's going to play at this point. We don't know if we're going to have Lamar. We don't know if we're going to have Tyler Huntley. So what we're going to do is we're just going to skip this section completely and we're going to make some completely random predictions based on how the game looks right now. So, gentlemen, how the game looks right now is Lamar Jackson isn't playing because he isn't practicing. So it's this is a Tyler Huntley-led Ravens team going to the Bengals to play the team that absolutely wiped the floor with us last time around. So, predictions. I'm going to predict another heartbreakingly close game. I'm going to go for 34 to 31 to the Bengals. Come on that draft pick. Um, my player prop is I will say that Mark Andrews is going to go for over 150 yards in this game, which would then put him at the top of the all-time receiving yards list for the Ravens. 
as a tight end. And yes, that does include wide receivers. Shane, I'll give you 10 seconds to catch up and then you can tell us what your prediction is. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's it's even trickier than normal this week, isn't it? Because as we say, the Bengals don't really have anybody on the COVID list, but by Sunday, who knows? This thing's spreading fast. Um, So I have a feeling, based on how it looks at the moment, I think it's going to be very similar to the Packers game. Um, It's a very similar high-powered offense that they're facing. They are going to put up points and they're going to score on most of their drives. The defense, I just saw somebody on Twitter saying the Ravens need to give out those light-up LED bracelets to the crowd again, only this time when it lights up, it's your turn to play. Um, (laughs) I think that's looking like a very very real prospect for the defense. Um, So I think it's going to be 31-27 to the Bengals. I think the Ravens are going to just miss out again um, just because they're so depleted, basically. Okay, James, what have you got? Uh, I'm less optimistic, unfortunately. I think this is going to be 38-20 to the Bengals. And uh, I, I think I'm being a little kind there. Uh, so I, I think the player prop I would go for is a, is an Anthony Averett interception. It's being a, a lone bright spot in a difficult, difficult day for the Ravens. Okay, Ian, Mr. Optimistic, let's go. Head or heart, head or heart, head or heart. Um... I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. Sorry. Um, I've got the Bengals as well. Uh, I'm going to regret saying this, but they haven't put up points for the last month. They haven't gone over 25 points in a month. So I think it's going to be low scoring. I, I don't even know who the Ravens are going to be trying out there. <laughs> so, Ian, have they stands. been playing teams that have a secondary? <laughs> uh, not, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say outstanding secondaries. Uh, no, no, I'm not, I'm not going to go that far. I'm not, I, I think the Bengals are a good side. I don't think they're a fantastic side. And I I think had if the Ravens were, were semi-healthy, I'd be picking them in this game. But but they're not, so I can't pick them. 21-20 Bengals. Uh, player prop. Here you go. Here's, here's one for you. Um, I think Nick Boyle will play an awful lot in this game. This game's important. I think they, they've... Wanted to get Boyle involved. They need to get him involved. Nick Boyle will catch a touchdown. I don't know why. Game. When you went 21-20 in your prop, I thought I thought your prop was going to be the Ravens miss another two-point conversion. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that. But that <laughs> that's instantly where my head went. <laughs> I'm not sure I could... I could. I think Shane's doing the Twitter this week. I'm not sure I could handle that. So. Okay, round us off then, Ben. What have you got? Well, after last week when, count, you know, sort of contrary to popular belief, and, and expectation I went optimistic and, and actually if we'd got if we had tied it um, and went to overtime and won the coin toss and somehow uh, won it on a Tucker field goal I'd have been bang on on the 34-31 prediction from last week because um, I did feel like we had it we just had this sort of uh, certain it factor that that we could actually swing in our favour and, and win that one this week I'm just not feeling it. I, I think that uh, there's news that we've seen today as well and the depleted roster we're going to be um, having to, to cope with versus a Bengals team that are as strong as they've been and we are weaker than we were last time we played them and we're in their house. I can't see logically how it can be anything other 
than a fairly significant defeat. So I'm kind of on the, and I'm very, very rarely this this down about the potential Ravens, but I think uh, Ravens performance. But I think this is a uh, this is just one step too far. So I'm kind of on the James side of things here. I think the final score will be along the lines of 34-17 um, to to the Bengals. I think we we may score a couple of early ones to try and keep it close, but then we're going to get desperate and might see a couple of picks thrown. I'd love to be wrong because I'd love to sort of just rub this in Eli Apple's stupid Twitter <laughs> face. But I can't see it happening. So I think um, 34-17 Bengals, uh, it's, uh, Jamar Chase alone is going to be too much for us without even taking into account people like T. Higgins as well. Um, so um, I think on the bright spot for the Ravens, I think that Bateman will have his first receiving touchdown. Okay. So... With that sad, sad prediction segment out of the way. It's going to be a sad Christmas. It's going to be a very sad Christmas. Um, From all of us guys, we'd just like to wish all our listeners out there a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Happy New Year? No, you'll hear from us before the New Year. Scrap that. Hope we don't wish you a Happy New Year. We we, We just at this point wish you a Merry Christmas. We'll talk about the New Year next week. Should it happen, we might all be locked in as houses and not have a lot to talk about by then. But let's not get into that. So we will be back next Thursday, the 30th of December, where we're going to review the Bengals game, catch up with any Ravens new, and preview the Rams game. Well, that's going to be an interesting preview segment. The Rams game, I've got a friend who's a really good Rams fan. So I think we're going to have a bit of a cookout over Christmas and get the Commandos lit and just drown myself in despair as the Rams come to town and absolutely hammer us. So, yes, have a great Christmas. Stay safe. Stay healthy. As always, if you'd like to be involved with the show, please email us at ukravenshow at gmail.com. And until next week, let's go Ravens. Thank you for listening to the UK Ravens podcast. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by members of the UK Ravens. Join the community on social media at UK Ravens and facebook.com forward slash UK Ravens. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the UK Ravens podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. To be involved with the show, email us at ukravenshow at gmail.com. For more info, links, and to stay up to date, visit www.ukravens.com. Like kissing your sister. <laughs>